0: It's, uh, I feel like God is, is wanting to speak to us as a whole church, which is why I've asked all of our church to come together today. And uh, here what I feel is... Uh, uh, I, I guess the way I look at it is that sometimes when you're a parent, family is just gone and, and you just have a family meeting. And you just talk about things and you set a direction, you set kind of some of the things. And that's what I feel is this morning. But this morning is also... Our Missions Sunday. And so it's exciting. I love the fact that MERS Church makes missions something that's important. It's not just something we do over here on the side. No, missions is really one of the central things of what we do. And we give focus to it pretty much every month and take some time, not just to give a platitude towards it, but to actually kind of lift it up and speak to it and stir you in the heart of missions. Because I believe that missions is really the heart of God right that God wants to get his message out and we're going to talk a bit about that in just a moment so we actually have a new missions representative here at Warner and that's Morgan who loves to stand up and be seen by everyone so stand up Morgan all right let's give Morgan a hand turn around let everyone see all Right. And uh, Morgan is just taking responsibility now. Pastor Nikki is still looking after missions for all of us, but in each location, we just like to have someone that you can speak to, that someone that you can go to, and uh, someone that can stir and do the things of missions here in the actual location. So Morgan's doing that, and she's going to do a fantastic job. But today, instead of just on the screen hearing about missions, we've actually got a missionary you can actually touch. All right, like it's, it's, it's amazing, right? So uh, it's excellent. So, you know, over the years, I've met impressive people. People that just, just the way they are just impresses you. There's something just about them. And uh, Joshua and Melinda Groves are impressive people. They, they've done things in life that are just impressive, but what they're doing now is actually impressive. There's, there are things that Joshua speaks and things that Josh and Melinda do actually stir me. There's, there's very, I shouldn't say very few people, but there's, there are people around the place that when you hear their thoughts, when you hear how they think, when you, when you hear and see what they're doing, it just makes you go, what am I doing for the Lord? Does it make sense? There's something about their life that says, I need to just give up everything and just serve God. And and, and this is what who Joshua and Belinda are. So Belinda is at uh, Redcliffe. So Redcliffe's going to go by. You're actually going to hear from Belinda right now. But let's put our hands together as Joshua Groves comes and tells us a little bit about what's happening at Sepio.
1: Hey, good morning, church.
0: How are you? Yeah, oh, I'm
1: so happy to be here. We have been wanting to come for years, but there's been border closures. We have tried by every means, but we finally made it. Yeah. You are family and we mean that. You are our people. When Pastor Mark says that you are a missions church, I want you to know you are a missions church. There are things happening in the world today that would not be happening if you weren't as generous as you are, right? If you don't contribute the way you contribute, it just doesn't happen. That's the reality. And there are people praising God today that you have never met because of your generosity. Think about that. People lifting up praises to God because of the way you are as a church. I have a short video and then I'm gonna come back and speak a little bit more.
2: Church. My name's Josh. I'm one of the founders of Sapeo in Lesotho. We get children off the streets and back into families. One of the greatest miracles we've seen over the last nine years that we've been operating is that we have practically eliminated the issue of children living and working on the streets in our city. One of the great ways that we've done that is through Sapeo School. This school is a school especially for children who have experienced all sorts of trauma, neglect and rejection. It's a place of love where they rehabilitate and catch up on their education.
3: So the last year for us has been dealing with the impacts of COVID on those people who were already poor. So people who were able to earn money um, doing peace jobs, daily jobs, now could not. Kids who were relying on um, food at school didn't attend school for now a third year in a row. Um, we are back on it, identifying out of school kids In the first week, our team were out on the main roads around the city and we found 127 children who were out of school. The focus then became on understanding why, so that we could fix it. We intervened and we were able to get those children back into school and we are continuing to work on some of those really difficult cases that need new homes or police interventions.
2: We're confident to say that crisis has been averted and these children will not end up living or working on the streets.
3: We also opened our free childcare centre in this community and we have children who were at risk of abandonment, those whose mums needed to go back to school and other children who were being abused or severely neglected. These kids are already improving. Children who began with us, unable to speak, unable to walk, they are now starting to walk and we are hearing their first words. Kids who were malnourished are now starting to put on weight and we are just so excited to see where this is gonna go.
2: This is the significance of what's going on in Lesotho. God is doing something extremely special. He is uh, displaying his great love for people, all people, and especially those who are on the outside. Sopaiah will always be about the excluded because Jesus came and showed us the way that he is about those who are on the outside, who think that they don't have a purpose and who think that God is against them. But we come with the truth that God loves people and he comes to include. Thank you, church.
1: The church, this is not the story of Josh and Belinda. It's not a story of a great team. It's not even your story. It's the story of a God who loves people more yeah. than you can imagine. And the lengths that he will go to to see that justice is done. Yeah. Belinda and I will be preaching tonight and we have a word on our hearts for this church. And I'm, I promise I'm going to hold back now and say it's coming tonight. But I just want to touch on a few things. Our story before COVID was that we had practically eliminated eliminated the issue of children living and working on the streets. A great testimony, something that we don't think has been done anywhere else in the world. And with COVID, schools closed and children just started having nowhere to go, nowhere to be. And to be honest, over the last couple of years, I thought "We're, we're gonna lose it, we're gonna go backwards. Week after week, I was getting reports of Look, there are kids around. We just can't tell which ones are here on the streets and which ones are just visiting in the day. And around January, as we started to see more and more kids just gravitate towards town, start to enjoy life and freedom, start to have jobs, we thought we're going to go backwards. We're going to be back where we were 10 years ago. And what you saw on this, at the beginning of that video was our team know exactly what to do. We know how to connect with these children because we love them. And all those kids that we saw, 127. The first day of the year, I said, Team, as leaders tend to do, set a big target. I want us to get 100 of these kids back. Yeah. Right? And I just saw big eyes, because I wasn't the one that had to do it, right? <laughs> I just set the target. they go, All right. The next day, they came and said, uh, We've actually found 127. And they got on it. And those kids will not end up on the street. They're back in school and we're caring for them. That's a testimony of what happens <laughs> when a church like yours, Partners with Sapao, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who know exactly what to do in the right situation. So church, we are preaching tonight. There are honestly miracle stories we are going to share. Right, Last couple of years, we have, especially during our COVID period, we went from a small organisation impacting hundreds at a time. Our team has tripled in size and impacted tens of thousands. Okay, you've got to hear this story. It is a miracle. If you're not normally a nighttime church person, can I encourage you? Do something a bit different. I know with kids than routine, sometimes you've got to break that routine to hear something amazing that God is doing. It will lift your faith. If you wonder if God's got a purpose for you, please come tonight. You're going to see what God can do through a surrendered life. If you wonder where is God in a hurting world, please come tonight. You're going to get the scriptural basis and you're going to see how it has outworked. And a message like this is really good for your non-Christian friends. It's accessible. Honestly, all my non-Christian friends hear this and their hearts are lifted and they go, yeah, yeah, I think that's what Christianity is all about. It's an easy way for them to connect. So please bring people. You are going to see what you're involved in. You're going to see that justice is being done on the earth and that our God loves people. What better news is there than that? (laughs) I can't think of any. (laughs) Love you, church. Thank you. You're our family. We love you
0: awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. So make sure that you're here tonight because it is an amazing story. Uh, Joshua and Belinda were successful in every way that this world counts as successful. You would look at them and put them up as the picture-perfect couple of success. And they gave so much of that away to be a real success. You know, they pretty much gave everything up of worldly value, of worldly note to go and Help people, and it and it's a stirring yeah, right. it's story. Ah, it just that just hits me because yeah, yeah. the heart of Jesus. Yeah, right. People are at the heart of Jesus. That's right. That's right. Ah, come in, yeah, come on, that's all right. <laughs> Wake up, <Shh. laughs> you know. Uh, last night and the last couple of days. Nina and I, we went to Planet Shakers. A number of our youth went to Planet Shakers. And I know a number of our not-so-youth came to Planet Shakers too, hey. Some other senior members like Steve Villiano, who also is 60 years old, hey. Another older man in our church, right. So uh, what it was is that sometimes it's good to just go to something over a period of time, over a few days, and just say, God, I, I want you to do... What, I, what I, I just want you to do. You know, I went there, and I'm not Pastor Mark. I'm not anyone. I just go there, and I can just go to church like I'm going to church. I just go there and kind of go, I'm just a Christian now. i am not got any responsibility. I'm just a Christian. I just put myself in God's hands. And I want to tell you, you know, in October, we'll be having our summer and that's what I want you to do. You sit there and say, right now, make a decision. I'm going to go to Summit this year, and I'm just going to put myself yeah. for three days yeah. in God's hands. Right. I, I, I'm just going to be like a little child. Jesus said, it's like a faith of a little child that accesses God. It's just like, yeah. I just need God. Yeah. I just, I just want God to move. There's, yeah. there's no agenda. There's no kind of manipulation. There's no God. I, it's just. I just want Jesus. And I just want to encourage you. You know that even if you can't, find something that you can go to where you can just say, God, I, I just give you these days to be in your presence, to hear what you want to say. And I promise you, it will change you. But I have a sermon this morning, and I welcome back Redcliffe. I say hi again to Field, and we're going to preach. Let me, just, uh, let me just pray. Father... I feel like I've got something, oh Lord. Father, I feel like I'm pregnant, so to speak, oh God. And and Father, I pray, help me to deliver what you've put in my spirit, oh God. Father, I believe that this morning is important, oh God. It's important to to us as a church. It's important to to where we're going, oh God. And so Lord, Lord, let me not be the stop Or let me not be the thing that hinders what you want to say, Father, getting into the hearts of people, oh God. Father, use me, oh God, today to speak to people, oh God. To, Father, to stir and to challenge, oh God. To, Father, to contest, oh God. Father, paradigms of thought that that we may have settled into, oh God. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, Use me this morning and let, let people hear your voice, oh God, not my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, I started this message, to be honest, as just a message for Warner. Uh, I was preaching a few weeks ago and I just thought I'm preaching just to Warner. It wasn't going to uh, Redcliffe. It wasn't going to Morayfield. I wasn't going to have the opportunity to, to go and speak it to those different locations. So it was just going to be... To, uh, to water and as I started to go through it, I, I just felt this start to bubble up in my spirit and so I felt I've really got to actually tell the whole church, which is why we're doing this via uh, video today into our other locations. And so I want to speak to you this morning because I believe it's like a prophetic word, I believe it's a declaration of revival and I believe it's a clarion call to our future. And so this is the year where we declare and we proclaim, and I really want to declare and proclaim what I believe God wants us to do, and really what it is, is just to get back to the very basics. This morning I want to speak to you about the gospel, the right. glorious gospel of yeah. Jesus Christ. I, I want to go through the first seven verses of Isaiah 61 and have a look at what God gave us in giving us the gospel, how glorious it is. Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed, I am not ashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. You know, the gospel is nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing shameful about the gospel. But I want to say it's being contested right now. In this current climate, we can sometimes forget that. Increased persecution from the media and society. Christian leaders falling. There's less trust in the church. The, The world seemingly getting crazier. And sometimes we can forget how powerful the gospel is and become a little bit ashamed. To become a little bit ashamed that, yes, I, I, I go to church and wondering what reaction you're gonna get. We can show a sense of shame in the gospel. You know, telling someone right now that you're a Christian is something that some of us may hesitate from right now. And I believe it's because the enemy has made a concerted effort in society right now to bring shame to the gospel. But we're not to be ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God, of salvation to the Jew first, to everyone and the Greek also. You know, this week we have our Sound of Music production. We don't normally have this on our stage if you're here for the first time right? So uh, I I thought about coming through that door. Then I realized it's not a door. It's just a a show, right? So, you know, it's going to be three full houses. We've got 107 tickets left just to the last one. So uh, you better get in quick. I think it's amazing. And I do want to thank everyone who put the effort in. It doesn't just happen by chance. People have done a whole lot of work. People are here every night practicing. There's tech people. There's all sorts of things. There's people who have built these sets. And so I just want to say thank you. You know, after today, you know, there'll be people here all afternoon. They won't leave church today. There'll be some people here from 7.30 this morning through to nine o'clock tonight because of the sound of music. They put in a great effort. And so let's give them a thank you right now. Let's, let's be appreciative then of what they've done. They give the capacity for, for 1,200 people to, to, to hear the gospel. You know, there's been just a little bit of contention or criticism that the sound of music has nothing to do with Easter. And so the question's in, well, why are you putting on the sound of music on Good Friday? Doesn't it cheapen it? Doesn't it do those things? But I actually want to say it's because of the gospel. You know, I would agree the sound of music has got nothing to do with Good Friday. It's got nothing to do with the death of Jesus on the cross, which, by the way, we still will honour And we'll still commemorate, right, with our communion service at all our locations, right, on Friday, Friday morning. I mean, it it does have a nun, right? There is a God destiny story in it, but that's about it. But it certainly isn't the tradition passion, you know, of the Christ type of play that a church might generally put on. But see, that's where an understanding of what the gospel actually is comes in. Hopefully, I live a life every single day that honours what Jesus did and the fact that Jesus died on the cross. I don't need a special day to commemorate what Jesus did on the cross. But I'm going to use that day that society has chosen to commemorate Jesus' death, to do what Jesus' death actually achieved, and that's to try and reconcile men back to God. That's the story of the gospel. You know, Jesus said to the apostles, to Peter, and he said, you will no longer be called fishermen. I now call you fishers of men. So we are called to be fishers of men. And a fisherman uses whatever bait he can to catch a fish. If you ever gone on a fishing charter or on a fishing boat, you'll sit there and you'll be throwing your thing in. You'll be using squid And then all of a sudden, someone pulls in a fish and they're using worms. And so you get, pull your line in, right? You get rid of that stupid squid, right? And you find a worm and you put the worm in because you want to catch the fish, right? The sound of music isn't the gospel, it's the bait, right? We're just trying to do whatever we can to see people come to Christ. Paul said this, I become all things to all men. So that by all possible means, I might save some. When Paul was in Athens, he was brought before the religious people of the city. And he used what they knew. Not what he knew. He couldn't use the things of Christ because they had no understanding of that. So what he used is he used all the idols of the marketplace. And he found that there was a God to, or, there were, or an idol or an altar to the unknown God. And he said, I know who the unknown God is and he wants to know you. He used what they knew to be able to present the gospel. You know, not everyone Paul spoke to became followers of Jesus. Some, the Bible says, treated him with contempt. Some laughed at him, but some got saved. We're gonna put on the sound of music. Some will go, that's just rubbish. Some will go, (laughs) laugh at that. But some will get saved. When you speak the gospel and when you share the gospel, some will treat you with contempt. Some will laugh at you, but some will get saved. Some will come to Christ. So, what Jesus did for us on the cross is amazing. And this morning, we're gonna look, we're gonna look at what the gospel is. And see what the the power of the gospel is in our mouths and in our hands. Let's have a look right away from Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me. Now this is a messianic scripture. It's spoken 700 years before Jesus reads it again in a synagogue in Capernaum. What had happened to Jesus is he had told them that he was God. They didn't like it. And so what happens is they'd want to throw him off a cliff. He walks through the crowd, the Bible says, and then goes on a 40-hour walk from that place, walks to Capernaum, walks into the synagogue, and then reads this exact Scripture and says, What was spoken of 700 years ago is being fulfilled before your eyes today. I am the Messiah. And right at the beginning of the talk of the gospel in Isaiah 61, it actually sets the foundation of why the gospel is so important. It's because the gospel is anointed. The gospel has the hand of heaven upon it. When the gospel is preached, something of the eternal comes in to the temporal. Something of the supernatural comes in to the natural. The same spirit that was on Jesus when he spoke the gospel and read those things is upon you when you speak the gospel. Remember, it's not you. It's what God can do through you. Now that doesn't mean that every time you share the gospel that the person that you're speaking to is gonna get saved. Jesus was eventually crucified, right? The apostles who went out to share the gospel, all of them, all, almost all of them were murdered for the gospel. People to this day are being murdered for the gospel's sake right now and martyred because they've shared the gospel. But what it does mean is that what is being shared has an anointing. And this is it it's the key to eternal life. Yeah. There is no other key. It's the only key for eternal life. Yeah. And whether someone uses that key yeah. or rejects that key doesn't change the power of the gospel. Yeah. It doesn't change the anointing that's on the message of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. That's what the gospel is. And until you really understand that, that someone cannot be saved without the gospel, there is no eternal life without the gospel. There is no other way by which men can come to God than without the gospel. It's important, people. It's It's important. It's the power of God until you understand that. And that's why men and women throughout history have gone out and risked their lives again and again To make sure that God's message of salvation gets out to everyone. Let me say it again. Let it sink into your spirit this morning. There is no other way to God than the gospel. Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus Christ is the way. There is no other way to God but the gospel. So I want to say, we can't be ambivalent towards it getting out. You can't be just, eh, nah, that's good. I'll leave that to the evangelist. I'll leave that to him. I'll leave that to her. We can't be ambivalent. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it does so much. So let's quickly go and have a look what the gospel does. Isaiah 61 verse 1, the gospel to bring good news to the poor. I want to say in the society that Jesus came into and for pretty much so much of the world, poverty has always been an issue. But for the follower of Jesus, we are promised food on our table and a place to sleep as we put the kingdom first. That's good news to a poor person, but I wanna show you the genius of this, right? Following Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted and received the gospel, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's incumbent upon you, upon me, to look after the poor. We are called to do that. It's one of the very kind of base things that a Christian's asked to do is to look after the poor. Look at what Josh and Melinda are doing in Lesotho, right? Their their following of the gospel has resulted that there are no kids working on the streets and in the streets of a country. That's amazing. That is amazing because in the gospel, God made it that there was a way to already look after the poor. It's genius. God is a genius. Understand that built into the very fact And that very fabric of the gospel is care for the poor. And that's good news to the poor. See, religion doesn't help people. It just makes them feel even poorer because they can't do whatever it is they need to do. Whereas the gospel always adds to your life and takes away that which is going to bankrupt you. It goes on and says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted." I want to tell you, life is not always easy. People go through tragic things and very unfair things. Very unfair things. And our heart breaks. Yet Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. He comforts them. He strengthens them. He gets them up and going again. Never be ashamed of telling the gospel to someone going through a tragic time. They need Jesus they need Jesus to get them through that. Yeah. They need Jesus to, to walk alongside them, to, to help them, to comfort and strengthen them. You know, crisis is spiritually invigorating. And it's at that time when someone's looking at what's going on in their life, that you bring that message of hope and of love, Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. Yeah. You know, Jesus' heart is towards them. Right? When, he, when He sees someone brokenhearted, he, he's drawn towards that person. So that, that, that he, is, he is drawn towards him. It's the heart of Jesus. See, religion doesn't help you when you're brokenhearted. It actually just tries to blame you for your own predicament. The gospel says, come as you are. I'll tend to your wounds and we'll walk on together. It goes on and says to proclaim liberty to the captives. The gospel works for those that are bound, addicted and trapped. Whether it's a substance, a habit, words spoken over you, a physical condition, the the conditions of your life or whatever trap that you can't get out of. Jesus offers you a way forward. Once the gospel is at work in someone's life, there's always options. You know, the, the only really hopeless person is the one who has no options. And the gospel will always give you an option. There's always a step to take when you follow the gospel, when you follow Jesus, when you walk with God. There's always a next step. Yeah. You're never at the end of the cliff. There's always something that you can do. There's always a way further. See, religion wants to bind you further. The gospel sets you free. It goes on in the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You know, I've often wondered, what's the difference between being captive, which he says, I'm gonna let set you free, and then being in prison. Was Jesus repeating himself? And then I realized, no, prison is for the guilty, right? You're gonna find the odd prisoner who is innocent, but to be honest, they're there for a reason, right? They're there because they did something. They, dared, they did something, and now they're, they're suffering the consequences of that. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus knows we're guilty. And He still loves us. He still yeah. visits us. He, he, he sets us free from what you're guilty of. Yeah. God knows you're guilty. God knows you've broken His law. Yet Jesus said, I'm going to take that penalty. I'm going to take that punishment. And your jail time has come to an end. Jesus on the cross essentially gives us early release. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're feeling guilty, go to Jesus. I felt to stop at this point in the message, and whether it be at Morayfield or Redcliffe here, I I just want to pray for those that are feeling guilty over something. You did do the wrong thing. That was disappointing. But it's time to be set free from that so that you can move forward. So I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand. But I'm just going to pray. Father... For the times we did mess up. For the times we did do something that shameful. Father, for those times, the things that we are guilty of, oh Lord. Father, I I break that guilt right now in the name of Jesus, oh God. Father, we don't have to do the penalty anymore. We can go forward, oh God. You have a destiny, you have a purpose, you have something for us, oh God. And so Lord, we may have done that. Yet you called us knowing that we have done that. You've spoken to us knowing that we've done that. You put a promise in our heart, knowing, oh God, what it is that we've done. And so, Lord, I pray, let there be a release right now from all guilt, oh Lord. Set people free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. See, religion actually wants to make you feel guilty. The gospel says don't live in guilt anymore goes on to verse 2. We're only at verse 2. We've got seven to go. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I like this. Because of all the requirements of the law, the observances of festivals and rituals and sacrifices, a person before the death of Christ really lived in continual fear. Have I done enough good things to kind of keep God happy with me? Or or what's the scale like? I, mean, I had a good week this week, so God must love me. Oh, no, I didn't have a good week this week. God must be against me. I've got to be able to do something to make up for the bad things that I did. And, and there's just this fear. There's no, there's no favour. They could feel like God was always angry, that somehow that they were an enemy of God. But Jesus said, no, you're my friends. You are my friends. You know, Paul tells us, That as an ambassador of Christ, one of our roles as an ambassador is to tell people that God is no longer their enemy. God isn't anyone's enemy. One of the reasons people don't want to come to church is because they're scared that God's going to get them somehow. They know what's going on and so they're actually scared to come in. I remember very clearly a, a friend of my daughter's who they worked with at McDonald's, right? My daughter invited her to come to church and she came to church and she was in total fear of what was gonna happen, just like I could. And then at the end, when she realized, oh, that was all right. The people were nice to me. The, 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 it was good. I, I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed them. I It changed the mindset and that's what we're called to do. God isn't anyone's enemy. God is no one's enemy at all. But because of the Jesus, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, you can now live in the favor of God. You are God's favorite. You are God's favorite. Can you receive that? Let me tell you, if you can't receive that, you need to just spend some time by yourself in the presence of God. There's some people you can't receive that. You are God's favourite. God has favour on your life. If you can't receive that, go to God, spend some time, put some music on and allow His heart and His spirit come upon you. He's not out there to get you. He's your friend. Religion wants to tell you God is mad at you all the time. The gospel calls you a friend of God. Isaiah 61 verse 2, And the day of the vengeance of the God. So, these are all the things that Jesus said the gospel does. Vengeance of God, that sounds scary. But because the gospel is the only way by which men can come to God, people actually need to understand that. There is a consequence for not taking up God's free offer of salvation, and that's eternal separation from Him. That's hell. That's an eternal separation from God and everyone is going to have that opportunity. The Bible tells us that that no one's going to say, well, I didn't know. Everyone's going to have that chance to accept or reject the gospel, but it's for us to go out and give them the opportunity to hear the gospel. There is a consequence for not receiving or taking up the offer of God's free offer of salvation. But I also believe it means this. I believe that it means that through the gospel, God makes things right. That God has the final say. See, when we think of vengeance and and the gospel, God is not like some organized crime boss, right? Sending out a hitman on those people who have hurt us. That, That is not the heart of God. To be honest, God loves the hitman, right? God wants the hitman, the guy doing the worst things to actually come to Christ. God is the God for the abused and also the abuser. Very hard thing to actually get our mind around in the things of God. See, God loves everybody and offers the gospel to everyone. See, wanting your pound of flesh or wanting someone to have that, that, that pound of flesh for something evil that they've done to you is actually religion. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them. And so God is not going to do, or God is not going to ask us to do something that He's not prepared to do. Right? He's not going to ask us to love our enemies, but He hates His. You understand? It's not the heart of God. So what I believe it means when it says this, it means I believe we're able to square away anything that happens to us. In the gospel, we are able to make a peace with the injustices of this world. When our enemy prospers, when good things happen to bad people, when bad things happen to good people, it means we're able to actually leave it in God's hands and trust that God knows what he's doing. It's called faith. See, we see everything in terms of this world in light of everything that happens to our reality. But when God looks at it, He looks at it in this life and in the life to come. God has a different viewpoint to literally everything else that we go through on earth because He sees it from this life and in the life to come. And in all of it all, it will square away. See, religion makes it so you're happy that your enemy stumbles. The gospel makes it so you can actually leave people in God's hands and actually trust his judgments. Isaiah 61:2, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise for a faint instead of a faint spirit. The gospel is particularly wonderful for those who mourn. And if you've ever been to a Christian funeral. Right, of a person who just served the Lord, I've always thought that is the ultimate kind of flex in a sense of how good Christianity is. It's just like I'm in heaven. I have eternal life. Yeah. I, have a, I have eternal life. I, I, I love that. That's, that's where it is. That's where the real benefit. In life, you're still going to go through stuff. Things are tough. There's all sorts of problems you're still going to have to face as a Christian. You've got someone to do it with, but you still have to go through it. But the ultimate flex is that when you die, you go to heaven. Yeah. And that's the most obvious comfort there could ever be. You think of that, that you're actually going to see those people once again. To think I'm going to see my mum and dad again. That's awesome. Yeah. To think I'm going to see my sister again in eternal life. That's pretty amazing. It's extremely comforting. Yeah. Instead of gloom, instead of the gloom of ashes, there's a the comfort, like there's a beautiful headdress. I can be glad instead of being mourning. You know, I'm sad, but I don't be sad as someone who has no hope. I have hope because of what Jesus did. I have hope because of the gospel. I can have a praise instead of lament. And to be honest, I think this is one of the greatest things of the gospel, that like whatever lament I have, It's real, it's true, it's there. But as I bring it to the Lord, whatever it is that I've lost, whatever I feel that I've lost, I can see that God has a purpose. God has a reason and God is greater than any loss. And so I can turn that lament into a praise. Any lament that I have through Jesus can be turned around into a praise. See, religion wants to keep you in the hopelessness of your mourning and loss. Well, the gospel wants you to live in the joy of knowing that death has, is not the end, yeah. that Jesus won over death. Yeah. Isaiah 61.3, That they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. What God plants, God looks after. The, God, the gospel of God is planted in a man's heart as the smallest seed of faith. And then it grows and grows and grows and eventually takes over and becomes an amazing oak tree. And God gets the glory. It's not man. God gets the glory. Think about this. In my own life, under my own steam, when I made all my own decisions, when I rejected the gospel, my life was slowly disintegrating and, to be honest, got to a place that, in all intensive purposes, I would have died an early death. But on July the 11th, 1982, I heard the gospel for the first time. I heard the real gospel to my heart, God speaking to me, and a seed of faith, yeah. a seed of faith took root in my heart and started to grow and started to grow, and started to grow to where it's taken over my whole life. And every good thing in my life is as a result of the gospel. Yeah. Everything that's in my life is a result of having believed in the gospel into Jesus Christ, and then gone on and it's taken over. It's taken over. It's taken over. It starts as the smallest seed. And if I handed a microphone around right now, we would be here till midnight tonight, listening to story after story yes. Yes. of how the gospel came in as a seed, yeah. but then started to take over someone's life, the glorious gospel of Jesus. It became an oak tree. And the thing is, is that I can't take the glory. I can't sit there and say, wow, how marvelous Mark Helmendorf is. Look what he's made from his life. Look what he's done in his life. Look where he's come from. It's got nothing to do with Mark Helmendorf. It's got everything to do with the gospel and the seed that grew in to a great oak tree. It gives glory to God. I don't want the glory to go to Mark and say, look what Mark's done, look what Mark's made. No, look what God has done. Because without the gospel, I would be nothing today. I don't even think I'd be alive. Religion says you can never change. But the gospel sees Jesus working in us each and every day, making us more like Him. Isaiah 61.4, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. See, when the gospel starts working in our lives, it builds and builds and it rebuilds. It breaks generational curses. Proverbs tells us that the way of the upright is upward. So you can come to God smashed. You can come to God ruined. You can come to God devastated. But brick by brick, stone by stone, He's going to start to build your life or rebuild your life. Yeah, good. That's what I love about the gospel. Is that like you can come at any time. You, you can have built something and then gone way back. And then God says, oh, we'll just start building again. We'll just start building again. He'll just rebuild something. See, God is a master builder who works to the master plan that His Father in heaven set out for you before you were even born, before you were in your mother's womb, before you were a twinkle in your dad's eye. I want to tell you, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. And that's what Jesus is working to. That's the plan that, that Jesus is building to. And so when we come into the gospel, all of a sudden, I'm now in the hands of a master craftsman. I'm now in the hands of a master builder. I'm now in the hands of the one who can work to a plan that was set for my life before I was even born. See, religion wants you to build yourself up, but the gospel of Jesus says that Jesus is going to rebuild you one brick at a time. Isaiah sixty-one five, strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your ploughmen and vine dressers. You know one of the things that the true gospel does is that it makes friends of enemies. The church, those who has accepted the gospel, should actually be the most inclusive place on the earth. Yeah, yeah. Yet unfortunately, the church isn't always like that. We have our little likes and, and our little biases and our, our little kind of groups, but it's not like that in the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us there's no Jew or Greek, male or female, black or white, rich or poor, master slave, old or young. We're all equal under God. All of us are just sinners in need of a savior. God makes friends out of people who should be strangers. You know, my Dutch bloodline. And all the things that my parents went through in the war, World War II, says that I should probably have some animosity towards Germans. But the gospel made it that Matt Hines, a German, is one of my best friends. I just think that's amazing. Not that, I, don't, to be honest, I don't actually have that bias. But there's people, you shouldn't be friends. You're from different sides of the track. You're this and, and they're that. But the gospel says, no, you're my brother. Yeah. Yeah. You're my sister. Right. My brother says, we, we, we may have different mothers, but we all have the same father. Yeah. And he's in heaven. Yeah. And that there's no one better than anyone else. Yeah. My whatever privilege that I was born in doesn't make me better than anyone else. See, religion tries to separate you due to your differences But the gospel makes it so even the strangest of alliances are forged to help us. Verse 6. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord, they shall speak to you as ministers of our God. You shall eat of the wealth of nations in their glory, you shall boast. And this is it. This is pretty much the crux of this whole message. And which I hope and believe that the future of a murdered church will be built. The gospel can't be kept to yourself. Upon receiving the gospel, you didn't just receive salvation, you actually also received the responsibility. And that responsibility is that you'll share the gospel, the very thing that saved you with those who are perishing. So remember how I started this message? Without the gospel, there is no other way to God. You can't keep this message to yourself. The gospel is ministry to the hopeless and life to those who are going to go to a Christless eternity. See, religion makes God all about you. But when the gospel touches you, it's always with someone else in mind. Isaiah 61 verse 7, Instead of your shame, there should be a double portion. Maybe the bank could come. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore in the land they shall possess a double portion and they shall have everlasting joy. I think it's the truth of the gospel. The gospel always leaves you with with a, a double portion. See, the gospel deals with our shame and then tells us not to be ashamed of it, of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of following Jesus. Don't be ashamed of partaking in the life that truly is life. That's the reward of the gospel and it finishes with everlasting joy. The joy of knowing Jesus. The joy of being who God made you to be. As I sat in this very rowdy, loud worship last night after being a Christian for 40 years, I just sat there in the worship and I was just glad that Jesus loved me. I wasn't a pastor, I wasn't a husband, I wasn't a father, I wasn't a worker, I wasn't anything. I was just like a little kid before Jesus. Jesus, I need you, Daddy. I need you. Do you know the joy and security and the safety and the stability that brings? I've got God who looks after me. Everything else could be taken away. Everything else could be snatched away. Everything else, but I've got Jesus. I have got Jesus. That's the glorious gospel. That's the glorious gospel. Jesus said it well. He goes, don't rejoice that demons are subject to your name. Don't rejoice in this, that, that healing's come. Don't rejoice in that and all these things. Rejoice in this, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah. That's the gospel and that's what we rejoice about. Yeah. See, religion dooms you to the inane following of all these men's rules, lies, and rituals. The gospel propels you into a double portion of everlasting joy. So this morning, I hope that you can see that the gospel is glorious. It's not something to be ashamed of. No matter how it's received, we're just responsible to get the message out. You know, sometimes I have to speak about tithing. Or giving in the house, the house heart of the house offering. You know, I get nervous when I have to do those things because because you're thinking, oh, someone's going to get mad, someone's going to be upset. To be honest, I remember one lady just really swearing at me much in the in the foyer because I spoke about tithing. And 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 I and you think about it, but you know, whenever I do, I actually end up sharing it with boldness. I end up sharing it with passion. I end up sharing it. Like I really know that it's true because I know that it's good for you. Yeah. I know that it will help you. Anyone who's tired never comes to me and says, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad decision. Yeah. They're always happy because the Bible says the one place that we can test Him. I do it because I know it's good for you. That's the attitude we should have when we share the gospel. Yeah. You know, they may reject it. They may get mad. They may show contempt. They may laugh. They may reject it. But what happens is that like, it is actually good for them. It is actually life to them. And a few will take it on. So imagine that you tell 10 people the gospel and nine of them say, nah, not for that. Nine of them kind of laugh in your face. Nine of them say, nah, but one says yes. Wow. One says yes. One says yes. See, eternity is a long time. And we've got to tell people the message of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone. And so you want to have one to say yes. So don't think about the nine. Think about the one. I don't care if it's a hundred. Don't think about the 99. Think about the one. Think about the one. See, if you you do it enough, then that one turns into a whole lot of people. Imagine going to heaven and there's a whole lot of other people there because you heard the gospel. I certainly don't want to get to heaven and it's just me. Hey, hey, Jesus. I want there to be others. I want to have been used of God to see that gospel message preach. So if you know someone poor, share the gospel. If you know someone brokenhearted, share the gospel. If you know someone captive, share the gospel. If you know someone guilty, share the gospel. If you know someone who thinks God hates them, share the gospel. If you know someone who's in mourning or when something terrible has happened, share the gospel. If you know someone who has no faith, share the gospel. If you know someone whose life is in ruins, share the gospel. You're getting the message. If you know someone who feels alone, share the gospel. That's the gospel. It's of benefit to all mankind. Don't be shy, but be bold. One of the negatives of the pandemic is that it's been easier to make church about yourself, what's comfortable for you, to just go through the motions of Christianity. You know, over the last two years, I've had so many people telling me to do this, do that. Preach this, preach that. I've had people tell me that they're theologians, scientists, doctors, end time specialists. They give me their opinion on everything. But it's actually time to get back to what we're here for. We're here because of the gospel. We're here to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And to be honest, I can't think of a better time. There's so many people. I'd hate getting emotional. I wish I didn't. But there's so many people who need Jesus right now. And without Jesus, they're going to go to hell. Without Jesus, they're going to have that Christless Eternity. And we need to share the gospel. This is not a rebuke to anyone. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to us all. I'm not rebuking anyone. I'm not telling anyone off. I just want you to see it as Jesus sees it. So this is my challenge to you. When was the last time You shared the gospel. And if the answer is a long time ago, then let me challenge you. You're actually in danger of becoming religious, of going through the motions of faith. So I challenge you this morning, share the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Understand. Understand it's the only way for men to come to God. Stir your heart and compassion for the lost. If If you haven't got a heart, or a compassion for the lost, then you're once again in danger of becoming religious. And I will tell you to do this. Go to a shopping centre. Go to Chermside. Go to Strathpine. Go to, I don't know, Kipper Ring or Morayfield Shopping Centre. Go somewhere. Take a seat. And just start to look at the people. Just start to look at the people and just say, Jesus, give me a heart of compassion. Give me a heart of compassion. Sometimes we just need to stir it up again. Our lives are so nice. Our lives are so busy. Our lives are so, we just got it going on. We need to get back. We're here for a reason, church. We're here for a reason. We're here for a reason. We have the gospel. We have the answer to eternal life and we need to share it, not be ashamed of it. It's not about our comfort, it's about eternal destiny for millions of people that need to come to Christ.